Welcome to the Defender Bible Study, a weekly encouragement to equip the body of Christ through the study of Scripture and prayer to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children around the world. This podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, where we believe that defending the fatherless begins by being rooted in God's Word. It's Monday, January 13th, 2020, and today we are continuing our study on the book of 1 John, and we will be looking specifically at 1 John chapter 2, verses 28 through 1 John chapter 3, verse 10. Let's read the text together. And now, little children, abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because he, we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Everyone who practices makes a practice of sinning, also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning, because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. So starting off, I want us to see four quick observations from verses 1 through 3 on what it means to be a child of God. First, we see in verse 1, see what kind of children, see what kind of love the Father has given us that we should be called children of God. You see, the first observation is that we are adopted as God's children. We were not his children, but we have now been made his children through his glorious grace. You see, we were orphaned, we were strangers, we were alienated until Christ came and we were adopted as God's children. But there are two clear distinctions of this adoptive grace. First, the blood of Christ covers the sin of all who believe and make them children of God. Believers in Jesus are fully adopted. However, God is not the father of all mankind, but only those who have confessed and believed in the Lord Jesus Christ and followed him. This is not universalism because this adoption is only for those who repent, confess, and believe. And this truth should drive us to talk about our daddy in our neighborhoods, in our communities, and throughout all nations. Beloved, we have a father who chose us before the foundation of the world. Our adoption should drive us to plead with our physical family, our friends, our neighbors, as well as every tribe, tongue, and nation to come to the sweet adoptive grace of Christ Jesus. So the first distinction is that we are a child of God because we have believed in the blood of Christ which covers our sins. But the second clear distinction is we are not cute children in need, but enemies of wrath and rebellion against God. 
We're not some type of beautiful children that have been placed on a, on a waiting gallery, on a waiting list. No, we are objects and enemies of wrath and rebellion against God. Romans 5.10 tells us who we really are. For if we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Romans chapter 1 verses 28 through 21 says this about our resume. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossip, slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, and ruthless. You see, our adoption is not based on the fact that we were cute, attractive, or worthy, but it's based on the sovereign grace of God set out before the beginning of the world. Oh, see, oh, see what love the Father has lavished upon us that we should be called children of God. Oh, but that brings us to the second observation, and that is the love of God compels us and reorients the way that we live. Verse 2 says, Beloved, we are God's children now, but what we will be has not yet appeared. Oh, we are reoriented as God's children. This is what Paul says to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians 2, starting in verse 4 through verse 10. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You see, when we truly grasp the grace and the love of God, it compels us. We were created in Christ Jesus for good works. God has, has made us into his workmanship. It reorients the way that we live. That's why Paul also says to the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14 through 15, for the love of Christ controls or compels or constrains us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might, not, might no longer live for themselves, but for him who it, for their sake died and was raised. You see, we are now called to model God's mercy, love, and justice to the world. And beloved, we must know that there will be a cost. It may cost us our reputation, our politics, our standing, our material possessions. Oh, it could cost us our comfort, our health. But ultimately, rest in this, that God will not call you to something. He will not equip you for something in which he will not give you great grace to persevere. So sweet adoptive parent who may be listening to this podcast or sweet foster family that may be listening to this podcast and, and you're counting the cost. You're in the midst of it. It's costing you your comfort. It's cost you your possessions. It's possibly cost you your health or your reputation or even your standing. But know this, beloved. Ultimately, God will give you grace to persevere. And it's our prayer that you will have that grace as a child of God, that he will reorient your life and compel you to persevere in his love. 
And so we look that we are God's adopted children. The love of God compels us and reorients the way we live. But we also see a third observation, which is this. The Lord is saving us for himself and a future reality that is incomprehensible. Verse 2 says, what we will be has not yet appeared. This amazing love of God that God gave us when we were dead and caused us to be born again and brought and when he brought us into the family of God, this secures our final perfection in the presence of God forever. You see, verse 2 connects the love of God, our present life as his children, and the future we long for. It says, beloved, we are God's children now, but what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. You see, John sees an unbreakable link between what we are now and what we will be when Christ comes. He expresses it with the words, we know. In other words, the perfection and consummation of our sonship is coming. We know it is. We can take it to the bank. We can be bedrock, sure, and confident. How? Because we're children of a promise-keeping, loving, and holy Father. All that is left in our adoption is the transformation that comes when we see Jesus face to face. His presence will complete the true reality that we are children of God. And so John, who wrote this epistle, who wrote the Gospel of John, was also the one who saw the revelation of God. And listen to the words that he says in Revelation 21, 1-7. And as you hear these words, think back on even our passage today, that we are children of God, that we are, how blessed it is that we should be called the children of God, and that we have this future reality. Oh, John saw that face to face when he wrote these words in Revelation 21, 1-7. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice coming from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. The one who conquers, listen, beloved, will have this heritage. I will be his God and he will be my son. Oh, beloved, this truly is a future reality that is incomprehensible. But we also see the fourth observation, and that is that Jesus came to reconcile us to God and give us a secure hope for the future. Jesus came to reconcile us to God and to give us a secure hope for the future. Jesus had come so that he could reconcile us from our sin. That's why John three seventeen says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Saved from what? Our sin. That's why Mark 2, 7, Jesus says, Those who are well have no need for a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. And then we see the passage, 1 John 3, 8, right here in the middle of our passage. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. But what? The reason the Son of God, the reason that Jesus appeared, was to destroy the works of the devil. You see, 
As verse 3 says, we are now pure because Christ was pure. We have a new identity through our adoption. God the Father no longer sees us as sinful and insolent or rebellious sinner, but he sees us through the sinless perfection of Jesus. This is the beauty of our adoption and the glory of our salvation. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Paul writes to the church at Colossae in Colossians 3, 1 through 4. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are of the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Our identity is hidden in Christ, and this gives us a secure hope for the future. And so with these foundational observations on the love of God the Father and our adoption, John transitions to the major opposition for the children of God, and that is sin and the devil. Recently, Ashley and I were binge-watching the Jason Bourne series with our oldest two. And we noticed that the opponents of Jason Bourne always seem to have nine lives. They always seem to come back. You think he's gotten rid of them. You think that he's killed them. And they, they come up from what none of us would be able to live through. And you know what, beloved? We may wonder as if Satan, had, had, has he not been vanquished by the cross and the victory of the grave? If, if that's true, why do I still have to battle with sin? Why is the adversary still roaming and coming against me if Christ has already defeated him? Well, just like we know the result of the Bourne movies, we know even more secure the result of real life. Satan keeps trying to act like he is prowling, but he is on the leash of our Father. That's why we look again at 1 John 3, 8. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. Oh, but the reason the Son of God appeared was to do what? To destroy the works of the devil. The mission of Christ was to destroy the works of the devil. So quickly, as we end, three takeaways from the mission of Christ to destroy sin and the work of the devil. First, Jesus came to destroy sin and lawlessness and its control upon his children. You see, lawlessness is living as though your own ideas are superior to God's. Lawlessness says, God may demand it, but I don't prefer it. Lawlessness says, God may promise it, but I don't want it. Lawlessness replaces God's law with my desires that are contrary to God's ways. I become a law to myself. Lawlessness is rebellion against the right of God to make laws and govern his creatures. So now we can see better what the Son of God came to destroy. The works of the devil are sin, and sin is lawlessness, and lawlessness is rebellion against the right of God to rule over us. The work of Satan is to tempt us to reject the authority of God and become like God ourselves. Satan works to nurture and cultivate the pride that puts its own desires above the law of God. And this is lawlessness. This is the essence of sin. And this is what the Son of God came to destroy in you and in me. God is about his glory. And who else would he glorify? But you know, we are little glory thieves wanting some of that glory for ourselves. Jesus has come to supplant that desire with a desire for righteousness and the glory of the author, sustainer, and creator of the universe. And so the second takeaway from the mission of Christ to destroy sin and the work of devil is this. Jesus came to absorb the penalty and wrath of God due us for our sin in order to open our eyes to righteousness. Isaiah 51, 7 tells us of, of the wrath of God. It says, wake yourself, wake yourself, stand up, O Jerusalem. 
You who have drunk from the hand of the Lord the cup of his wrath, who have drunk to the dregs the bowl, the cup of staggering. There is a cup of wrath of God stored up for those who make a practice of lawlessness and sinning. Oh, and listen to this verse, drinking it down to the dregs. This is like drinking a coffee all the way down until you get to the grinds. The penalty is the wrath of God, which must be swallowed up by the offender. Oh, but Isaiah continues with this prophecy in Isaiah 51, 22. It says, thus says the Lord, the Lord, your God, who pleads the cause of his people. Because, behold, I have taken from your hand the cup of staggering, the bowl of my wrath, and you shall drink it no more. And why would we drink it no longer? Because the wrath of God was satisfied with the death of Jesus. That's why Isaiah 53, 10-11 prophesies even further. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. We have been accounted as righteous. Paul tells this to the church in Corinth and 2 Corinthians 5, 20-22. Therefore, oh, therefore now, brothers, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. See, Jesus came to absorb the penalty and wrath of God. Do us for our sin in order to open our eyes to righteousness. But the third and final takeaway from Christ's mission to destroy sin and the work of the devil is this. We participate with God the Father in showing the mercy, justice, and love of the gospel as his beloved children. 1 John 3.10 By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. You see, because Christ first loved us, we love others. We look around to see the poor, the needy, the broken, the orphan, the widow, and the vulnerable, and we love them. Because Christ first loved us and chose us before the foundation of the world. James says it this way in James chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold to the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, why you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich ones the ones who oppress you, the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of it all. For he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you become transgressors of the law. So speak and so act as those who are judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. But mercy triumphs over judgment. Beloved, 
True love spurs real action. That's why we see later in 1 John chapter 3, verse 16, that by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. And then two verses later in 1 John three eighteen, little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed, in and in truth. It's not enough just to live in the reality that we are children of God, but this reality gives us fresh and bold new desires to announce the mercy and excellency of our Father. We have a grand inheritance, and it changes the way we live. When we follow Christ, we get God. He is our inheritance, and that should give us great courage. We serve him not to earn our faith, but as an overflow of thanksgiving for our salvation. We follow him to the ends of the earth. Everything we experience here is worth it. We are rich in Christ, so we persevere in whatever the Lord calls us to do. We don't wring our hands in fear because we know who our Father is. We no longer practice the old sinful lawlessness that marked out our old life, but we, we follow Christ in righteousness. Oh, beloved, let the words of, of, of 1 John chapter 3 resonate over us to let us know that we are the children of God, but we have an adversary and we must persevere. Well, thanks for joining us for the Defender Bible Study. This week, we are praying for the country of Brazil, and we are specifically praying for the local church and missionaries residing in Brazil, that they will be united, encouraged, and emboldened. We're praying specifically for our friends who are throughout Brazil as they are sharing the gospel. And these are indigenous believers that are, go, that are spreading throughout their own country just to share the gospel. We pray for truth and conviction for the people of Brazil. A great amount of poverty, corruption, liberalism, and societal issues impact these people. We pray the local church would rise up to share the gospel and minister to vulnerable families, children in foster care, and even become adopted families themselves. We pray for, that the Lord would encourage and prepare, provide and prepare for the three families who are currently in the process of an international adoption from Brazil. We also pray for the eight families who are home with their children, that the Lord would equip them to love their children well and disciple them as they adjust to their families. We pray for more mission-minded families who want to pursue adoption from Brazil. We pray for the leaders of the country, that they would make laws to protect the rights of the children in care. We pray for the children in care and the children who are living on the streets. We pray that God would reveal himself to them, provide for their needs, and bring their paths to cross other believers that would help care for them. We pray for our team here in the States, Josh and Beth and Farah. We pray for our team in Brazil, Marcia and Marcos, and our in-country attorneys. We pray they would feel supported as they continue to advocate for the children of Brazil. We pray for the workers at the central authority on the local level, that they would make decisions that are in the best interest of the children. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for the opportunity to work in the country of Brazil. We thank you for our friends that are there, indigenous believers who are spreading across this country in Brasilia and uh, Sao Paulo and Rio de Janeiro. We just ask that you would give them great courage and great grace and, and would help the gospel to spread boldly through them. Lord, we pray that the church would rise up and share the gospel and minister to vulnerable families and vulnerable children and children in foster care. We pray that the church and mission-minded families who are Brazilian would, would, be, would, would rise up to answer the call to adopt or foster. We also pray for those families from the United States, mission-minded families. We pray for more that would want to pursue adoption from Brazil, but we also ask that you be with those that are currently in the process or those who have brought children home. Pray for the government that you would, uh, Lord, wrap around the government, that you would use these government workers to, to, to make great decisions for the best interest of the children. And Lord, we pray 
that you would hold these families and these children in the palm of your hand, that you'd surround them with your love, your grace, and your mercy, wherever they may be and whatever they may be doing. And we ask all these things in your great name, the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks again for joining us for the Defender Bible Study. If you enjoy making this podcast a part of your weekly routine, we'd love for you to take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the Defender Bible Study to make it easier for more people to find. For more resources and information on how you and your church can partner with Lifeline, please visit us at lifelinechild.org. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at lifelinechild.org. We look forward to seeing you again next week for the Defender Bible Study.